2: This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open
1: Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer, TNA Hall of Famer, Bully Ray and I talk to Lance Archer just hours after his amazing match from G1 Climax 32 with Okada. We have him live on the Busted Open podcast. Also, we talked to our good friend Sam Roberts, talking all WWE and some of the changes that we've seen on Monday Night Raw with the new Triple H regime right now on the Busted Open podcast. This morning, Bully, uh, the G1 Climax 32. And man, if you missed it, I'm sorry I'm going to spoil it because it was an amazing match early this morning between Okada and our next guest, the murder hawk monster himself, the one and only Lance Archer. Lance, good morning. First of all, thank you so much for the time coming on after such a grueling match that you just had against Okada.
0: No, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. You said good morning, but it's almost good night for me. It's a little after 11 p.m. here.
1: You know, Lance, when you hit that dropkick and then you hit him with his own move, the Rainmaker, and you heard that gasp from the crowd because even on commentary, myself watching, I even shouted out loud watching it here before the show this morning because it was one of those moments. It was a special moment. And they've had a couple of very special moments during this tournament. The the match uh, last week with Jonah and this match with Okada, like... Again, Mm -hmm. Bully and I started off the show talking about you like that. Like if I was starting a company, you would be in the top of that company because you're so gifted in and outside the ring. You have a presence, features, size that a lot of wrestlers in this day and age don't have. And I'm sure in Japan, they appreciate that. Do you feel that appreciation from the Japanese crowd?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, just beyond special to be able to come back here and be a part of the G1 Climax, which is to me, one of the best singles heavyweight tournaments in the business of professional wrestling. Um, You know, and then when they announced me as being a part of the G1 uh, in Osaka back, about a month or so prior to the actual G1 happening, um, I got several messages from several people that I got a huge reaction from the people, again, at a moment when they're not supposed to be making reactions. So, again, hearing these little things and and hearing from my peers and being able to be here and be a part of that, being in the main event tonight with Okada, um, beyond special, very cool, absolutely feel the appreciation. um, And it's just reinvigorated me to come back to AEW and kick some more ass.
3: Lance, it seems like we have this same conversation every time we have you on or, or I see you in person. It's like, oh, my God, that was so great. Great match. Great promo. Great this. Great that. Yeah. But like mm. earlier, we were talking about you before you came on. And, you know, Dave said you you were, um, you know, underrated. And I said, mm. I believe that you were underutilized. Mm. What's the deal? What's it gonna take for for you to be able to truly take that next step? I used aew in his example as like it's it's not a big man company. But if I have a big man like Lance Archer who has a look, who can cut the promo, who has the work rate, and who can get it done, I'll be damned if I'm not gonna have him breathing down the neck of a baby face and, and, and you know and and have a good program and a good story. What do you think what do you think it's going to take for for those eyes to really really open when it comes to the murder hook?
0: Bro, well, first off, thank you. Um I, I I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because this business as you know, it's other people making decisions and it's just going to take when you say what is it going to take? It's going to take that person, those people, those moments to make those choices and those decisions to put me in those positions. And not that I've been put in bad positions, I've been put in great positions, um, but just never been put in the position. And I think it's just a matter of time. Hopefully I don't run out of time in my career, uh, but that somebody says, you know what, screw it. Lance's time is now we're going to make sure it's now and nothing's going to stop that.
1: Well, Lance, you're wearing the AEW hat. You represented AEW very well in the G1 Climax. Uh, by, by the way, I'm, I'm going and I'm buying the hat and I'm buying the G1 Climax 32 shirt because I'm a mark. <laughs> um, but but Lance, like, you know, with AEW now like that forbidden door is wide open, you know, and that's a big reason why we've seen so many Japanese stars in AEW and why you're there part of the G1 Climax 32. Uh, with your career being predominantly in Japan and all the work that you've done in Japan, how excited are you about that forbidden door being open between AEW and New Japan?
0: I mean, I think it's fun for me. It's fun for the audience because you just never know who's going to show up, when and where they're going to show up. AEW is doing a trios tournament, and part of the tournament is Will Ospreay and uh, the Aussie Open boys. Um, You know, Will's over here right now. We finish up the tournament on Friday. We'll all head home and do things. And then Will's going to be at AEW uh, competing in the trios tournament, uh, what, next Wednesday? Um, So, you know, I mean, it's this forbidden door is wide open. It's still open. And I think at this point it's going to remain open because it's great for both companies. It's great for the wrestlers. It's great for the audience. It's great for the companies because you just never know what's going to happen. And then opportunities like this where I got to come and be a part of the G1 Wheeler Utah was a part of the uh, juniors tournament and things like that. Um, You're going to see more guys coming over into AEW and having some of the most amazing matches that you could possibly see. Uh, on AEW television so I I think it's just a great thing all around for all of us Um, you know it it gets a little crowded sometimes on both sides because both companies have their stars and people that they're wanting to be the big part of what they're doing Um, but I think it creates opportunities for these dream matches to continue to happen week after week on AEW television or tournament after tournament in New Japan.
3: Lance, one of the conversations we were having yesterday, myself, Mark, and Dave, was about politics and pro wrestling. How does (laughs) politics – and politics – it's a part of the game. We were actually talking about right. this with Road Dogg, too. It's a part of the game. And sometimes it has a negative connotation, or sometimes people look at the word politic as a dirty word in wrestling. But take us behind the curtain just a little bit when it comes to politics, when it comes to an American wrestling company or a Japanese wrestling company. What's the difference backstage when it comes to, quote, unquote, politicking?
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, I think the big thing in Japan is it's very heavy on tradition. Um, You know, the guys start out as, you know, the Japanese boys specifically. And then now more recently, you've got like Bad Luck Fale, Jay White, who have gone through the full system as young lions. And as they come up, they get opportunities that, you know, a lot of guys wouldn't get. And it's like I said, it's a respect thing. It's a tradition thing. Um, And I think that's kind of where the politics exist in Japanese wrestling, because, it's kind of a structured system. You start here, you move to here, you go to here and keep continuing, to go up depending on how well you do. Uh, some guys obviously uh, do better. You know, Okada was a great example of somebody who started in the system. He went to the States. He was very underutilized, badly utilized in his time in TNA. He's brought in back to new Japan. And I was here when they first brought him back and, you know, they put the rocket ship under his ass and he immediately became a megastar here, but he was so, a uh, uh, humble at the way he handled things like even when he was the IWGP heavyweight champion he was still changing in the hallway um, again this was 2011 2012 when he first came back um, like the young lions would do you know he was earning his spot and he knew where he'd started he knew where he was and he knew where he was going uh, but the politics exist in the sense that he was given the rocket ship stuck up his butt and shot to the moon um, in the U.S. or western wrestling or whatever um, I think it's a lot of times it's kind of like flavor of the month type situations or, you know, who has the better relationship with someone, someone who's in the position to make those decisions and stuff like that. And that's just, that's just life in general. I mean, we're talking about wrestling because this is, that's what we're doing right now, but I think life in general works and exists in the same way. You know, if you're, close to somebody who's in a good position of power there's a better opportunity that you're going to advance where whatever you're doing whether it's wrestling or working at 7-eleven you know i mean it's going to help you move up and i think that's kind of how professional wrestling works especially on the western side and the japanese side is very much uh, steeped in tradition
1: who has been the one performer that you've seen over this course of the tournament that's really surprised you here at the g1 climax 32
0: man the great thing you know so this year's g1 was different because it was four blocks of uh seven so everybody in their normal blocks had six and in the past it was two blocks of 10 so you had nine g1 matches but every time everyone has a g1 match they go out there and they go balls in the wall 100 miles an hour and they put everything they can out there But the one guy that's impressed me and i've had a couple opportunities during this tournament uh to be on commentary which has been a lot of fun for me um is david finley Um, You know, all the guys that you expect to do the big things, uh, you know, the Will Ospreys, the Jay Whites, uh, Jonah, who I think has come in and just killed it as, you know, his first G1. Uh, But David Finley, who's been here for a while, who's, again, kind of come up through the system, has been put into positions and just blown it out of the water. And then uh, Tama Tonga, who above Thomas told me to tell you hello. Um, he, he told me to say something. I forgot what he told me to say. He said, you know exactly what it meant. You probably maybe know what I'm talking about. It was some kind of phrasing. Strongest, uh, he, the longest. Yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> he, said, he told me to say it. I forgot it. I'm sorry, but he did say hello. And uh, You know, but again, Tama, who's made it into the semifinals, is another guy who's just absolutely killed it.
3: Awesome. Lance. Tama, uh, Tama Lance. definitely. Yeah. Um, um has a, a future by himself I, you know obviously lots of love for him and his brother Tongaloa loa yeah. but there's something about thomas personality he has that he has that it factor and i always thought that if he ever branched out on his own again he could be quite successful um yeah. what is what is a typical day like for you lance living in living in japan because when you go over there what's the longest clip you're there for like two weeks right
0: most of the time. And this one's five weeks. I've done a six week tour before, but um, and, explain, you know, ex-
3: explain to people how difficult it is to live in Japan for five weeks. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. You know, I mean,
0: if you're very uh, deep into your home traditions and you can't get out of outside that box of how you exist in, in the States or in the UK or wherever you're coming from, because Japan is just an extremely different culture. Um, (laughs) it can be very, very difficult. I mean, if you are unwilling to just go out and kind of put yourself out there, um, try to learn a little bit of the language so you can have a tiny bit of communication with the people that you're in and around at a consistent basis. Um, Like this little room that I showed you guys with the little kitchenette and the little washer, washer dryer unit, it helps tremendously. But a lot of times you don't have that. You're in a tiny, tiny little hotel room Um, You know, you got to get out, you got to find a, you know, uh, a laundromat somewhere and that's walking wherever you're going because you're not driving or anything. Um, You need to learn the train systems, especially when you're in Tokyo um you know and it it becomes a kind of culture shock like i said unless you've grown up like in a place like new york which i think is very similar to tokyo which i didn't i'm a texas boy you know you got in a car and you drove everywhere there was very little public trans you didn't really take any taxes and here that's all you do you go on the public trans you take a taxi wherever you're going you walk i mean i don't know if i've taken a taxi or anything to any gym at any time when i've been in japan it's like all right let me find out where an anytime fitness is or gold's gym is and see how far the walk is and make that my cardio because it's usually no less than 15 20 minutes uh if longer and then you know you find food and you you find the entertainment I, I enjoy going to the movies and bowling here it's a lot of fun to do those things here because finding shoes at the bowling alley usually doesn't happen for me so i'm bowling <laughs> in my socks and my regular shoes and you know the movies you have to find the one that's you know just it's in english but has in the japanese subtitles because i've done that before where i've gone to a movie thinking i was gonna get to watch and it was absolutely dubbed over and i was like well can't hit, can't can't understand a word that's being said here. So I believe, you know, so it's a culture shock big time. But if you've got an open mind for food and, you know, that's one of the biggest things I've found traveling the world is if you if you can go have a good meal with somebody, you can barely communicate with them, but you can laugh, have a drink, have some good food, and you'll have the best time of your life.
1: How is it for the wrestlers as far as like the fan interaction? And like you said, there's the respect factor. How is it like Mm -hmm. for you as, as a big man wrestler being out there and interacting with the fans?
0: Uh, Are you talking about specifically at the show or kind of outside of that outside? Okay. Um, Well, you know, right now, uh, Japan is still very COVID conscious. If that's a very nice way to say it. Um, Everybody's still wearing their masks. They've, basically told their fans that they don't want them hanging around the hotels or outside the shows and things like that afterwards like before back when i used to come um a lot of times when we'd get here to the hotels there'd be a lot of fans that were waiting to take pictures and they love to take pictures it's not just one picture it's like ah one more ah one more ah one more you know they take it from 10 different angles Um, but now you know it's actually It's a little more quiet because, again, they've asked their fans and the Japanese are very respectful. So they follow the rules. And so you don't have a lot of fans asking for pictures or autographs or things like that. Um, We're doing specific autograph sessions at the shows. And whereas in the past I could, you know, shake their hand or give them, you know, adapts or whatever you want. Now I can't, you know, I sit behind a little plexiglass, they push a little board underneath it. I sign it and I slide it back to them and they, they walk on, you know, Uh, it's, it's a very different experience right now than it used to be. Um, But again, the Japanese people and fans are extremely respectful um and so you know there's a few that kind of go outside that box and they'll show up here and there and try to get a picture or an autograph if they see you out in the wild they will but for the most part they they kind of stay their distance and respect you know what they're supposed to do
3: um obviously you have your favorite places to perform in the united states Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to japan other than the tokyo dome um (laughs) which do you prefer corrigan hall saitama super arena the budokan which arena do you love and why uh,
0: well, Cork and I, I think, man, that was a hard one to go back to this time because they can't cheer. And that place, like you know, Bubba, it's it's But just, just so our hard. fans
3: just so our fans know, you're saying that they can't cheer because of COVID restrictions?
0: Yes. They're not okay. allowed to cheer to cheer. They're they're allowed to clap, they make low audible sounds. You'll hear oohs and ahs here and there, but then they quiet down really quick. Like if you were watching the, the show tonight, Dave, you'd notice that like yep. At the beginning, there's just there's very little sound going on. And in between stuff, there's just, it gets really quiet. You know, they'll start clapping, but they can't, they're not allowed to cheer. Starting in September, it's, it's strange. They're going to sell cheering section tickets. So there'll be people that can buy tickets, sit in a specific section, and they'll be allowed to cheer. And then the other people will not be.
3: Wow. Okay. So uh, I just wanted our (laughs) listeners to better understand what you meant by they can't cheer, but back to the question of favorite place to perform. And you were talking about Corrigan
0: Corrigan hall is probably one when they can cheer and they're on it. Like my, one of my greatest memories in all of my time in new Japan pro wrestling was the two 2019 G one climax. I'm wrestling Tanahashi. Who's arguably one of the greatest wrestlers to ever exist in Japanese and all of professional wrestling, in my opinion. Um, and we had a dueling, chanting crowd at Corgan Hall. Half were cheering for him and half were cheering for my gaijin butt. And that was an extremely cool, special moment. And then uh, the Ryogoku Sumo Hall is probably one of the coolest places for me to wrestle just because it is a sumo arena. It's been there Since probably before the sixties and you know, you go in the locker rooms and the toilets are made for sumo wrestlers, not normal Japanese, which are normally tiny, tiny toilets. And the locker rooms are these just giant, uh, you know, uh, uh, bamboo floors and things like that. It's just a really, really cool experience. And those are probably two of my favorite, my favorite city to be in though is Osaka.
3: Okay, many many a good night was spent in Osaka, brother. Yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: maybe maybe a little too good once in a while.
1: <laughs> Lance, uh, we really appreciate the time. Again, I know it's late for you. It's a uh, it's about eleven thirty uh, for you, and you just had that amazing match with Okada. Go to NewJapanWorld.com. Take a look at it. Subscribe because I'm telling you, you're missing out on some fantastic wrestling at this year's G1. And again, when you get back to AEW and you've represented AEW well, uh, All Out taking place September 4th in Chicago, which is going to be one hell of a show. And again, you know, I want to personally thank you, uh, Lance, for being a part of our show back in April, uh, the roast and everything, and you being being there was uh, very special for us and for me. So always... Thanks to you for being such a great supporter of Busted Open.
0: I don't know. I appreciate you guys supporting me. And, uh, Tony, I'm coming back. I'm kicking everybody's ass.
1: There you go, man. Tony, listen, because the murder hawk monster is coming back to AEW in the States, and he's going to take over. And you know what? Before long, he's going to be in the main event picture. Lance, thank you so much for the time, and congratulations on your time in
0: Japan. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Brad the Big Noise
2: Evans from the Fantasy Fast Track. With the fantasy football season upon us, catch me and Brandon Funbuns Funston every week as we sprint through a variety of fantasy football topics, including waivers, trade targets, sleepers, plus, and more. If that first place medal is what you're after, we've got the information to help you make it happen. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, free for most subscribers
1: Head to Factormeals.com slash Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com slash Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. <laughs> Sam Roberts joins us right now here on Busted Open.
2: Sam, how are you I'm good. I'm great, and I'm happy to to have you guys on board, and I'm I'm happy that now I can wave the flag for pro wrestling, not sports entertainment.
1: Ah, that brings <laughs> up my first question, Sam, because obviously you you're somebody that's well involved in the WWE, and congratulations for all you've done with the WWE and bringing help bringing it a little mainstream, especially on the airwaves here at SiriusXM. But yeah, you probably had to say sports entertainment or in the business when referring to what went on in the ring in the wwe but after last night and hearing drew mcintyre you could actually say pro wrestling now sam
2: i mean theoretically although i'm sure as as bully would agree if somebody uh, of my caliber said well Drew said it. I don't see why I can't. I don't see that going <laughs> probably,
1: probably <not>. well.
0: <laughs> but yeah. but 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 you know, but
1: to your point, Sam, like you know, Vince McMahon, and I've said this in the thirteen years that this show has been on the air, he hated pro wrestling. Like whenever pro wrestling was mentioned, and of course the infamous interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin on the broken skull sessions when Stone Cold said pro wrestling, you just saw the look of disgust. <laughs> in vince mcmahon's face but triple h truly looks at pro wrestling as an art form into his press conferences as you know after an ex- nxt black and gold uh pay-per-view he would mention pro wrestling i think it's going to be different under this new regime
2: yeah i think that that's a, a a big deal and i think that it's an even bigger deal than people realize, and I, I think that that's a lot of of what we're seeing, because there's still a lot, the entertainment part of WWE, I think, is still something that Triple H loves, and it's still something that is clearly not going anywhere. But if you look at the match that closed Raw last night, if you look at the match that closed SmackDown on Friday, if you look at the Champa and Lashley match, this is somebody who clearly, like, values the wrestling part as well, and I mean, you know, it, it's pretty well documented that Triple H is a guy that loves professional wrestling. That's why he's in the position that he's in, because since before he was anywhere near the McMahon family, he was a a guy who loved pro wrestling.
3: So Sam, the big topic this morning um, has been, other than the length of the matches, or the more more quality matches on Raw or SmackDown, what do you think the biggest difference has been in Triple H's Four weeks of taking over as compared to Vince.
2: So, what I love about what I'm seeing now is that I feel like for the first time in a long time, we're at a place where every segment on the show, it feels like somebody asked, Why is this happening? that question was answered and the segment was created with
3: that in mind. I, there, there, there there, hasn't been... Okay, let me stop you for a second then because one of the discussions that me and Dave were having was about Eosky, Dakota Kai, and Bailey. Why are they together? Well, you know,
2: actually, I think that... Graves was doing a really good job last night on commentary of trying to explain that. He corrected Jimmy Smith when Jimmy said, uh, you know, Dakota Kai uh, doesn't have that much experience, you know, but, and and Graves was all over Jimmy for saying, like, what are you talking about and saying that, that Bailey uh, uh, had had scouted both of them and that Bailey had looked for people to take over the women's division and had looked for the most skilled people to bring in. I think that that, that Graves started kind of planting the seeds of of what that that unit is all about and why Bailey is kind of the centerpiece of it,
3: okay. So getting back to the original question, the biggest difference and you you believe that everybody is now starting to mean something and every segment is starting to mean something.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, why are certain matches happening? I feel like even like the Dexter Loomis coming in thing. like, I don't know. That if Dexter Loomis just shows up and has a match, if people are like, "Oh my God, I want to tune in next week to find out what Dexter Loomis is doing," and that's no, you know, that's no slight on Loomis. It's just it is it's what the character is. I think now we're at this place where people tuned in on Monday, going, "Yeah, I want to see this match. I want to see what that's going to happen. I got to find out what the what what's happening with this Dexter Loomis thing." And I think people are still leaving this week going what the hell is going on with this Dexter Loomis thing? I want to know. I'm interested. I'm invested. And so you've got this thing where where you're getting invested in story. You're getting invested in championships, yeah. which I think is really important. That's a big change where real work is being done to talk about how important the Intercontinental Championship is, the United States Championship is. Real work is being done to, to highlight the Women's Tag Team Championship. And that's by not only having good matches in that tournament, but by making a big deal about the tournament, showing the brackets, showing the graphics, making sure that everybody realizes that this is a a, a prize that is worth fighting for, and that ultimately these titles are what this whole thing is all about.
1: And, and, and Sam, I think they did a great – first of all, they've done a great job with the video packages for both the U.S. title and the Intercontinental title. It's amazing, and Bully and I talked about it, what a two-minute video can do and get you invested in because you see the history of that championship, who's held that championship, and now you want to see that championship defended. But also, like, we're going to, we talked a lot about the Drew McIntyre promo from last night and how he mentioned wrestling. And that's going to be what most people will remember. But I think what Kevin Owens said was very significant as well, back to your point, because he mentioned that he hasn't held a championship title in five years in the WWE. Again, they're making it about, hey, we're in this to win championship titles. I think now in this new regime with Triple H, as you said, Not only is the Universal WWE Championship a main championship and those two titles, which we're going to see defended by Roman Reigns, a big deal, but these secondary titles are now a big deal. And I don't know the last time you could say the Intercontinental Championship has been a big deal in the WWE.
2: I mean, I yeah, I also think that as you're as you're watching these characters transition into something new, I don't feel like my intelligence is being insulted. And I don't mm. feel like I don't feel like the fact that I've been watching for all these months and years and everything is is worthless. I feel like it's worthwhile. I, I feel like like loose ends are being tied up. you know, when when Kevin Owens comes out and he's the more aggressive Kevin Owens, and he's the Kevin Owens that will hurt people, and he's the Kevin Owens that's not goofing around. He's acknowledging that he was goofing around, right? He's acknowledging that he was having fun, and now he's acknowledging that I'm done with that. It wasn't getting me to where I wanted to go, and now I'm here. I thought that the, that, I feel like, is what made the Karrion Cross promo so great on Friday, is that when he referred to Roman and Drew, and Drew as the chosen ones, it wasn't only an acknowledgement that those are the guys that have been picked to be in the main event it was an acknowledgement that he was supposed to be that guy and that he was not picked I, I i felt like when he acknowledged that he got cast away he was not only acknowledging that he was released but i feel like he was acknowledging that his main roster run was underwhelming i, I and i think that you know cuz that's a question that will come up right like okay this guy is showing up and he's and he's a threat to drew and roman well, I saw the guy show up in S&M gear and lose to Jeff Hardy in 90 seconds. Why would I take that seriously? Well, here's why. Because I got screwed before. I got, I was in a position that I shouldn't have been in before. And that's over. And now I'm here to correct that mistake. And I go, okay, acknowledged. You just acknowledged my concern. Thank you. I can move
3: forward with you. Sam, what made you think that that was S&M gear? I mean, I'd like to dive I mean, a little <laughs> deeper into your thoughts on that one. <laughs> Well, I, don't know I just thought I like you, you looked guys. like you're Lord Humongous from the Road Warrior, but you said like uh and gear. I I do a show with Jim Norton, so <laughs> a lot of
2: a lot of my perspective gets skewed sometimes. Yes.
3: Yeah. Um, other than the returning stars, whether it's a Dexter Loomis or a uh, Dakota Kai, E.O. Sky, and as we were just talking about, Carrying Cross. Main roster guys and gals that were there under Vince's regime that are now there uh, under uh, Triple H's. Who do you think has benefited the most in this short period of time?
2: Uh, Champa for sure. I think uh, I think that that immediately I feel like I, I feel like Champa and Shayna Baszler both work went into immediately. I feel like Shayna Baszler was put in a position where it's like okay, you're gonna win the gauntlet. You're going to go to this pay-per-view. You're the one, yeah. And and we're going to start to 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 let the audience be reminded that you are this threat. I feel like Champa, even more work was done, where it was almost like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna spend this one episode of television, letting people know how good you are by not only giving you this triple threat victory, but also giving you a victory over AJ Styles. Then we're going to give you promo time. Then we're going to build up this package around this match. Then, even though you're not going to beat Lashley, you're going to have this multi-segment, great competitive match that if we do this right, on the other side of it, after only two weeks, you're a completely different entity on Monday Night Raw than you were two weeks prior. And I think that was effective.
3: So I'll agree with you on Ciampa. But please explain to me how last Friday night on SmackDown did anything for Shayna Baszler.
2: Well, I think that I think that the work was done for Shayna Baszler the SmackDown before, right? Okay, when, she
3: wins the Gauntlet. Great. Winning the but Gauntlet, right? Winning a match is one thing, but last week on on SmackDown, I thought Shayna Baszler was left out there to look like the Shayna Baszler that we've been getting over the past four, five, six months. Well, she did
2: only in the sense that Rhonda's still clearly the bigger star, right? Like the the questions are still looming about Rhonda, but she did get the physical advantage over Liv. Like she grabbed Liv Morgan and 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 showed how dangerous she is pretty quickly in that in that segment. No.
3: Yeah, but she beat her up. She stomped on her arm but it really right. didn't do anything. It was the most ineffective or uneffective that I've ever seen Shayna Baszler to the point where Liv Morgan is standing up after the segment and smiling as she's raising a championship how is Shayna baser this badass if she's manhandling a woman she took liv morgan's already damaged arm slams it into a table she's manipulating her joint she's bending her arm she stomps on the arm like this is supposed to be a badass woman and then at the end of the segment liv morgan's able to just put her through a table and then just stand there with a smile on her face so, like, I get what you're saying about Ciampa. I would love to see better things for Shayna Baszler, but I don't think last week did any favors for her.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it was a step back for Shayna. I I, I also, I mean, look, I don't think Shayna has been portrayed as as strongly as she should be, I mean, pretty much since that Elimination Chamber match a couple years ago at this point, right? Like, like that's been missing for a long time. I think that we see that. I think that, that Shayna is still now with that segment leaps and bounds ahead of where she has been on that SmackDown. She was role. just so, completely you
1: know, forgotten. Sh- I mean, she, she hasn't she been was... anywhere
2: near the yeah. women's championship for a long time. So I think that I think that we're still looking at her as a suitable contender, which is which is this I mean which is why I said Champa first, which is not the leap that Champa has made. But I also think it's like it's, you're in this position where you can't, you can't just have her leaving Liv in a heap, I don't think, because Liv got hit with reality the week before when she got booed. And so it's like, how do we make this so that Shayna is still this super fierce competitive challenger, but Liv Morgan doesn't come across as somebody who's going to get walked all over?
3: I understand your point of view, but I think the execution uh, was not believable at all. I think Shayna looks ineffective, and I think it was a force feed on Liv because there's no way in hell. And let's just say that, as me and Dave talked about, absolutely positively had to do the physicality the exact way the physicality was done. Mm -hmm. At the very least, Liv Morgan should have been on her ass in the corner still selling her arm that would have put Shayna over more because then that table thing becomes a desperation thing she just was able to pull it out of thin air at the last second but i'll be damned if you have not hurt my arm significantly enough where i have to stay down i can't get to my feet but i can still hold that championship up while i'm writhing in pain in the corner Because remember, as you know, Sam, you're smart. The last thing that they remember is the finish. And the last thing I remember is Liv Morgan standing up, holding her championship with a smile on her face. Thus, I'm saying this Shayna Baszler, she's really not that badass that you tried to make her because she won a gauntlet match or she manipulated her arm earlier in the segment.
2: I would agree with that. I think that's totally fair. I think the idea that that Liv was fairly unaffected by That damaged makes it so that Shayna now has a a steeper hill to climb up to convince people like, no, I am still that beast from the Elimination Chamber. I would agree with that. You,
1: You know, Sam, we got the news and we talked about it earlier on in the show as well. And we heard Michael Cole talk about how fast tickets are selling for WrestleMania Already, uh, WrestleMania night number one has sold over 48,000. Night number two, over 49,000. This is the fastest that WrestleMania tickets have ever sold, ever. And we're talking about two nights of WrestleMania out in L.A. I mean, you know, we can talk till we're blue in the face about creative and everything and the changes that the WWE has made. And maybe even some potential PR nightmares over the last three or four months. But my goodness, it's good to see those numbers strong for night number one and night number two of WrestleMania, which we're, or is, what, over seven months away. And already yeah. we have over 50,000 tickets sold. It's pretty crazy.
2: It's pretty great. And I, I, I think that a lot of that does have to do with this new newfound enthusiasm for, like, okay. changes, you know? I think that there is that, that part of it. But I also think that something that really helps is that they did a really good WrestleMania last year, right? The fe- Or this year, I guess it was. Like, the fact that the last WrestleMania was so good and everything with Cody coming off of that was still good. Like, the the three matches with Seth even coming off of WrestleMania. I, I think that the Stone Cold and Kevin Owens thing was so good and even even McAfee getting in there was so good. And, and, and I, I, I think that people have a faith in the product and and the direction that it's going in wrestling fans do especially and i think that they're that when you put on a really strong wrestlemania that brand gets gets lifted up even more and los angeles is is a is a good city to do it in let's not geographics have to do with it too you know taking a if if you're from another part of the if you're from another country and you're coming to the united states los angeles hollywood not a bad place to visit.
1: Uh, Sam, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Uh, Talk a little bit what you got coming on with with your show on Faction Talk.
2: Well, of course, Jim and Sam is on every morning uh, on Faction Talk. We go live at 8, but we're on replays. The whole morning, we're on Faction Talk. So if you want to hear us talking about stuff that's generally not wrestling, but every now and then I sneak something in. You can turn over to Channel 103 and uh, and hear Jim and Sam. Uh, you can also hear Busted Open uh, Nighttimes over there on that channel, so it's a good one-stop shop. Um, and then, of course, for the wrestling stuff, Not Sam Wrestling is the podcast where I just sit there opining for hours on end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Selling us on the Shayna Baszler segment from last Friday. <laughs> Sam, thank you, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, man. Busted Open is a part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. The executive producer is Paul Ehrlich. The digital producer is Gabby Laspisa. Andre Viola is the associate producer. Fight Nation's program director is Eddie Brasile, or as we call him, Big Boss Man. Eddie Brasile, Mercer Reeves, is the director of sports podcasts. A special thanks to senior vice president of sports and podcast, Steve Cohen.